So good to worship the Lord together, to remember what he's done for us, to be encouraged. And let's continue to worship the Lord as we study his word together today. We're making quite a change. I'm jumping back to 1 Samuel. Do you remember? Some of you would. Some, most of you wouldn't. That's okay. That I was doing 1 Samuel back in June, and I'm going to finish it now, I hope. <laughs> but we're jumping from Zechariah to 1 Samuel. Let's just take a quick review to connect the two, because they really do connect. Zechariah is a message of hope. God sent his prophet to this people who were struggling, who were in dark times, who weren't building the temple, and they were supposed to building the were supposed to be busy building God's temple. They couldn't see the good reason why, and Zechariah was sent by God to tell them to persevere because this temple, the Messiah is going to come to this temple. You can't see it. You might not be believe it, but it's going to happen. Trust my sovereign plan for your life. Trust me. Put your faith in me. Do what I command. I'll take care of you. God invited them into a relationship. Return to me. God came seeking, return to me, people of God, Israel, the people of Israel, and I will return to you, and I will bless you. I'm the good shepherd. I will take care of my sheep. Zechariah's visions were forward-looking. Prophecies that God fulfilled, some already, some yet to be fulfilled in the future when his kingdom comes, the coming kingdom that's going to be perfect and glorious. Be assured that it's going to happen. Hope, invitation, forward-looking. You know, those Old Testament scriptures, sometimes they puzzle us, but they're really useful. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, it says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says the word of God is useful. And, and Paul was reminding Timothy, uh, hold on to, hold firmly on to those scriptures you knew from a young child. And I want you to know the, the, the scripture verses that Timothy's mom was telling him and reading him or his grandmother, it wasn't John 3.16. It was Isaiah chapter 53. It was Psalm 103. Will read those this morning at communion. They were reminding that when Jesus came and they heard the gospel, the good news of the Messiah had come, it all clicked. The word of God is useful, and it excites me. I hope it excites you to think about we can learn together and use it together as a community when we're gathered to be encouraged and, and learn and grow in our faith and have our faith strengthened so when we're scattered, we live for Christ wherever we are in difficulties. And that's why I love Zechariah to 1 Samuel. Because now we get back to hope and God's invitation to return to him, to come in relationship with him, and to be forward-thinking and trusting in God's promises in the nitty-gritty everyday life of people who lived, well, Zechariah was 500 B.C. David was around 1,000 B.C., 1,000 years before Christ was born, but yet they relate to us today. First Samuel, wow, the daily grind of life's joys and turbulences, and God was with his people. God was accomplishing all his plans that he had promised to Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob. They were coming to fulfillment, some of them, in David's day. And we also discover in 1 Samuel, just to review, that following God's not easy. The journey's going to be bumpy and rough, and it's not going to pan out or look, and, and everything's not going to happen the way we think it should in, in, in the way we think it should in time. But God will not fail in his plans. What's the overriding theme of 1 Samuel? We can have a share in the glories of God's triumph. Believe in him, trust in him, and see what God will do. We can have a share in the glories of his coming kingdom that Zechariah talked about. Or we can disobey, we can rebel, we can go our own way, and we can share in the glories of God's wrath. We can rebel against God. We can go our own way, and we will suffer for it. But God will win. So why not join him? There's a host of characters in 1 Samuel. You remember Hannah, Eli, contrasting. Lives that were different, faith and not faith, not believing, and we see the consequences. Saul and David, other key characters, contrast. We see how belief and faith or not trusting in God changes things. Saul was the people's choice. David was God's choice. Faith in God was the difference maker between Saul and David. King Saul's faithless. He's refusing God's rule, and he's disobeying it. He's trying to hold on to the kingdom that's not his, and it's destroying him, his family, the whole nation. And David's to be the new king, the king that God wants, the king after God's own heart. But right now, David's a fugitive, and that's where we're picking up the action again. David's on the run for his life. The would-be king is being rejected. He's being chased. He's being pursued. Things aren't looking good for David. Will David's faith in God wilt or will grow? Will David's faith in God flounder or flourish? Well, we get to see how God takes care of David, how he takes care of us. And the question for us today is, will you, will I, Will we put our hand in God's hand and follow him wherever he takes us, trusting in him? But before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray. Take a moment in your heart and prepare your heart. God, what would you have me do today? How can I put my hand in your hand more firmly today? Let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, we ask you to teach us, to instruct us, to make us courageous and bold in your name. When our faith is failing and faltering or wilting, that you would strengthen it through your people, through your word, through your spirit, as we remember your promises. Oh, meet our needs here today, each one, so that when we go out, other people may taste and see that our God is good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. My hand in God's hand. Let's read a little bit of David's story from chapter 23, starting at verse 15. I'll be reading through the end of the chapter, starting at verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. 
And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of, at Horesh on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there, for it has told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will, I will go with you. If he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshubon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from his pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. My hand in God's hand. First point I want to talk about today is Jonathan. Be a partner with God. Be a partner with his people. Be a partner in his work. Jonathan is a fugitive's friend. And we just take a few pages back in your Bibles if they're open to chapter 18. And we know that right after David had killed Goliath, that great victory that delivered Israel from the Philistines in that moment, as soon as they had finished speaking together to Saul, David speaking to Saul, the Saul of Jonathan, it says in chapter 18, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Wow, what a friend. God made this connection. They were brothers together serving God, delivering the Israel from the Philistines. Jonathan and David's souls were knit together, and that was happy times. By the time we get to chapter 20, David was no, knew that Saul was out to kill him, that Saul was jealous of his great victories. And, but Jonathan kept his word to David. He loved David as he loved himself. And Jonathan said in chapter 20, verse 4, whatever you say, I will do for you. David, I know my father's out after you, but I will do whatever you need to protect you. In verse 16 of chapter 20, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. 
I want you to understand what Jonathan was saying. He was saying, I will, I want God to avenge even my father if he goes after you. Have you ever heard the saying, blood's thicker than water? Do you know what that means? It means that family loyalty goes deeper than any other relationship. That even when my family is like really doing wrong, I kind of stick by them no matter what because we're family. Well, Jonathan was saying, David, there's a higher family. I'm bonded to you in a covenant before the Lord, and I will not break my commitment to my God or to you. In Matthew chapter 12, you might remember the story. We won't take time to turn there, but uh, Jesus is teaching, and his mother and his brothers think Jesus is a little crazy, out of his mind, working too hard, and they come to get him. And And a messenger came in and said, your mother and brothers want to see you. And Jesus looked at his disciples in the room, wherever he was teaching, and just said, who are my mother and my brothers? those who love God and obey my word. So there's a different kind of blood, the blood that bonds us in Christ that's even stronger than family. I love what it says in chapter 23. In verses 15 through 18, we read those verses. Jonathan came out to David in Horesh, and he strengthened his hand in God, And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. What's great about Jonathan was that he came to David, and he pointed David's heart and his mind because he was being overwhelmed and depressed Understandably so. He's on the run for his life from the king, and he hadn't betrayed the king, but the king was out to kill him because of jealousy and petty things. And Jonathan's saying, David, it's going to be okay. He pointed him to God's hand, to God's strength. He pointed David's mind and his heart back to God. He put his hand, so to speak, back into God's hand and said, God is going to take care of you. Just think about that this week as we scatter. When you go out and, and are serving your family or your friends or your co-workers or you're in those places, you know, God can easily intervene on behalf of anyone in miraculous ways. But he mostly uses people, people of faith, to bring encouragement and strength and to correct people's thinking so they have the right worldview. It's God uses people to do that. And Jonathan was in God's place. Jonathan had his hand in God's hand, and he was doing God's work. He knew what he was to be about. Read Colossians 4 sometimes and and just see the list of Paul, the Apostle Paul's Jonathans that were in his life. There's at least seven names that he lists there at the end of the chapter. It's kind of amazing to think about. You know, we all need a Jonathan. We need someone to help us think right. We need someone to help us be encouraged when our our hearts are down. Find a Jonathan. 
And then be a Jonathan as well. Someone who's ready to speak the truth into somebody's life. God's truth. Last week in small group, over at the Rock Youth Group, we were talking about uh, how God wants to use us. And somebody shared in our group that they knew, they know that God has, has gifted them with talents and abilities. And they know that God wants them to use those gifts and abilities, spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and all for his glory to help other people. But the statement was, but I'm not sure what my gifts are or I don't know how to use them. I was pondering that and thinking about it. And I realized they were already doing it sometimes, but just unaware trying to draw the quiet person in, the fringe person in, into the group and conversation. See, that's an attempt to strengthen somebody else's hand. That's an act of kindness. Or throwing someone the ball in the game when you know they're probably going to fumble it or miss the shot. And if you kept the ball, you'd probably make the shot. But no, you bring them in. Simple things, little things, but it's bringing people in. We need to be guardians of one another's physical well-being, our social well-being, our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being. Little things can be used to make great things. So Jonathan was putting David's weakened hands back into the ever-strong hands of God. He was correcting wrong thinking. Words that gave David hope, faith, and strength. One of the things we say we value as a congregation is that we want to build authentic, redemptive relationships. Honest, true relationships that are bringing people to God and moving them on toward God. How do you do that? Christ-centered, redemptive relationships, moving people from immaturity to maturity. Gary Camlin, happens to be serving the Lord at the Portuguese Bible Institute, wrote this note just this week in his uh, missionary uh, prayer letter update. He turned to 1 Peter chapter 4. Just listen to this. In light of, he says, a stock market crash, in light of the coronavirus, and in light of all the political upheaval and war and turmoil in the world, you guys know the news. It's really all really good. They just tell us all the good news. He said, what should we do? Here's what Peter said we should do. Chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 Peter. The end of all things is near. Good news. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. So what should we do? Well, we should be praying. What else should we be do? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So pray and love people like me when I irritate you. Be patient and kind with one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And on top of that, It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So pray and love and serve. Because like Zechariah reminded us, 
Jesus is coming back. The end could be very near. <laughs> Closer than it was yesterday, I know that. Do you know Jonathan's end was very near? But he didn't know it. He was going to be dying soon because of his father's sin in battle. But look what he was doing. His hand was in God's hand. And he was lifting up the servant of God and strengthening him with the truth, pointing him to God and God's plans and God's good plans and what God had in store for him. He was being used by God. Be a Jonathan. One other point I'd like to make today is my hand in God's hand, my hand in God's hand. We need to ponder what God has done for us and express God's work in our life. And we're going to look at how David did that in his life from a few events here in chapters 21 and 22. In chapter 21, just want to read a few verses. David's on the run for his life. Jonathan has come and tried to encourage him. Jonathan's just shot the arrow. They've had to split up because Saul's out to get David. So we're going backwards now to chapter 21. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I've charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men of such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from the women, from women, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it's an, or, an ordinary journey. How much more today with their vessels will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have, thought ne I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none here but that. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul, went to Achish, the king of Gath. I read all those verses just to give us the context. David's running for his life. And he told, tongue-in-cheek, a fib. <laughs> he lied to the priest. He didn't explain what was going on, probably to try and keep Ahimelech out of trouble with Saul. It didn't work, by the way. And David avoids the truth, but the priest helps him. He gave him holy bread. Why would he do that? Only priests were supposed to eat that. Because we know that mercy always trumps ceremony. Kindness 
and love always trumps ceremony and ritual and even God's laws for certain things because that's the way of God. Jesus explained it in the Gospels. And David's on the run for his life, and he runs to, to Gath, which is ironic, because he takes Goliath's sword back to Goliath's hometown. Imagine David, a warrior against the Philistines, showing up in Philistine territory, not only just in Philistine territory, but in the very town where uh, Goliath grew up with Goliath's sword. What kind of a welcome would you get there? Well, what did he do? He acted crazy. He acted like a madman. He let spittle drip down on his beard. He started to write graffiti on all the walls of the town. He acted like a crazy man because he was desperate. He was worried. And David reflects on how God took care of him. Would you turn with me to Psalm 34? Because David may not have felt like it at the moment, but God's hand was in David's hand taking care of him. David's reflecting on how God took care of him. And listen to what he says in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. My soul boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. David has this hymn of praise. He tells his story in verses 4 through 6. I sought the Lord and he answered me. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And then he says, taste it for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him will have no lack. And then he has a sermon. And I won't take time to read the whole sermon, but he gives a list of do's and don'ts. Gives a lot of important truths. When the righteous cry for help, verse 17, the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned, but the Lord redeems the life of his servants. So I was thinking about this psalm this week. A flood of memories came over me. I guess maybe it's a sign of getting a little bit older. But memories came back to me that I had forgotten for years. Thinking about how the Lord has taken care of me. Sometimes I'm totally unaware of it, but as I look back, it's like, wow. I bet you you have better stories than mine, but let me tell you two. One of them, when I was six, seven, or eight years old, I had just learned to climb the hickory tree. The hickory tree is still there in my yard when I go back there. It was a pretty tall tree. You had to reach up, and at my age, it was to get your legs up, and I'd reach for another thing. There was no branches to help me climb, and I got up there, and I was up about 15 or 20 feet. And I was on my way down. I had to spin around to get to the lower branch, and I slipped, and I started to fall just happened to catch my arm on that branch. I didn't think about it then. It was just luck, right? No, God's good providence. Boy, I can tell you a ton of other stories, but we don't have time for that. You'll go to sleep. Some of you know, we're out 80s. 
snowstorm. I spun out. I got hit by an 18-wheeler in my car. Wow. That's something. You know, the way it all happened, I wasn't on the bridge. I was off the bridge, got pushed into the medial strip. Here I am. Wow. You have better stories than that. But it just, you realize God takes care of his people. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be dead tomorrow in an accident. But it's just his plans are good for his people. Remember those things. David journaled it. Journal it so that you can share those stories of how God has taken care of you. The little ways, the big ways, the ways you weren't aware of until later. Tell what you know. Cry out to God in your need right now and know that he hears you. David moved on. He was on his run for his life. And in chapter, 20, chapter 22, he's with his family. And David departed from there. He had to leave Gath because he was in trouble. He was acting like a crazy man. The, the, the cover-up wouldn't last too long, so he moved on. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his family's house heard it, they went down to him there. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became a commander over them. So he had an army of about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah, to Moab, and said to the king of Moab, take care of my family. And he left them in Moab, and then he went out and hid and departed, and he was always on the move. Look at Psalm 142. David's on the run for his life, and he's in a cave. <laughs> Has a whole different feel than Psalm 34. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say to you, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am, about, I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. You can just hear the darkness. He's in a cave. I mean, what's to like about living in a cave? It's dreary. His soul is weighed down. <laughs> These events are past. David's just remembering and reflecting, and all the emotion and feelings are coming back of how he felt. But yet he sees hope and he sees light. There's more than one person here today and your situations are a lot like David's dark cave. So write a Psalm 142. That's your homework assignment if you're in a cave right now. Write Psalm 142. Register your complaints to the Lord. 
pour them out. But remind yourself along the way of God's sure promises. The righteous will surround me. For you will deal bountifully with me. Share your struggles with your Jonathan. Share your struggles with God. But always be giving hope to those around you. Share your struggles so you can encourage one another in the Lord. One other quick snapshot in David's life. So he he looks back and he remembers how God has delivered him. He looks back and he remembers the pain of the cave running for his life from Saul. Things not working out well. Having to protect his family so they're not murdered by Saul for retribution for David because of who David is. Then there's the tragedy of Nob. See, Ahimelech, the high priest, helped David. And he got in trouble because Doag the Edomite was there. And Doag was a betrayer. He wanted to climb Saul's ladder. And we pick up the action in verse 6 of chapter 22. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. And Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. And all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, with the, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. Then answered Doag the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So here we go. Saul's unbalanced life is being revealed here. No faith in God. He berates his loyal men. You guys aren't feeling sorry for me. No one tells me when my son Jonathan's against me. He had a spear in his hand. You know why they were afraid of Saul? Because he had a spear in his hand. They remembered what he had tried to do to David when David was playing the harp. He threw that spear several times at David to try and kill him. So he was intimidating them. He was promising them riches and earthly treasures, status and power and prestige. Why did they stay with Saul? Fear, power, Money, it can make us all do things when our eyes are off the Lord. But Doag the Edomite, oh, no problem. He falsely accuses Ahimelech, excuse me, Ahimelech of betrayal, of being a traitor, of being against Saul. No, he was just helping David. And Saul had the priest murdered. None of his men, none of Saul's men would do it, but the Edomite, the man without faith, was happy to do it, to climb up in Saul's ranks. And David talks about that event in chapter or Psalm 52. Hear these words. He's speaking of Doag. He's reflecting on what he was feeling when he heard the news 
of the priests being slaughtered, them and their families and all they owned. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Wow. Doeg's malice. And we learn from Doeg, we learn a lot from evil people. Your arrogance and wickedness, God sees it. And God will snatch you away sooner or later. You will get yours. And what does David say? Verse 8, but I am like an olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. And I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. When evil people win, remember what God will do for you. When the wicked seem to be winning, And God's team seems to be losing. Just remember what will happen when the Lord Jesus returns. And let that drive your life to hope. To put your hand in God's hand and serve him with kindness and love and praying and and hospitality. Returning good for evil. Returning blessing for cursing. When we scatter out into the world because David saw and learned that Doag came to an end. Jonathan's faith is revealed in his actions. Be like Jonathan. At personal cost, be like Jonathan and be true to God's people. He was being used by God in great ways to support God's people and God's plan. Just how can I imitate Jonathan this week? Think about that. And we get to see David's faith maturing here. Just little glimpses in the Psalms. We see his great love for God that he expressed in Psalm 134 as he remembered all God's good care through the years. David remembered God's good care when he was in the cave and feeling down and depressed and his faith was wavering and faltering and wilting. And he's reflecting on all he felt there and realized that God was taking care of him. We see how David's worldview was changed when he thought about Doag and the wicked and where they would end up. And he, and he remembered that tragedy and that drove him to have a good worldview to invest in God's future rather than temporary things the way Doag did. To climb up on Saul's ladder that would crumble instead of God's ladder that goes to eternity. Are you progressing in your faith? Journal it. Write it down. 
Think about God's goodness and record it and praise him. Tell your story to other people how God's been good so they can taste and see that the Lord's good too. Remember the dark times. Look for a Jonathan. Be a Jonathan. Share your stories so that others can share in the Lord's goodness. Let's pray. Father and God, we ask you to take your word through the life of your people in the past who've trusted in you, those who turned away from you. Teach us, Lord, not to be so foolish. Lord, help us to love and to trust, to have hope, to find strength in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.